Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. A couple of things before we dive into the scriptures here and, and uh, uh, talk about Leviticus, which isn't easy to talk about. Uh, we got an email this week from Patrick and Eddie, and Patrick and his wife Florence had uh, approached the uh, U.S. Embassy for a visa to come to the U.S. Uh, for a missionary conference first week of November in Columbus, and then they were intending to stay and be our Thanksgiving program. <clears throat> however they were denied a visa. Now, if somebody is really rich and wants to buy them a ticket to Mexico, they can actually walk across the border <laughs> and, and, and nobody will say anything. That's how interesting the days are that we live in. But uh, for whatever reason, and uh, they were denied a access. And, uh, but it, it appears to me right now based on what uh, they sent me in an email and what we've talked about on the telephone, is the church building that they're building now has the roof on it, and they're beginning to put the walls up around it. We sent them another $25,000. We had the money to send it to them. Uh, it'll probably get there sometime this week to put the walls around it. And they're anticipating that they can have a dedication on Saturday, the 28th of January. And they said, but we're not going to dedicate anything if you and Alice Kay aren't here. So, uh, you know, God willing, we'll try to be there. And there's a couple, three others who said they want to go too. But, and then we'll be there for their first church service on Sunday, the 29th of January. That's the plan right now. Uh, we'll know more about it in a few weeks and we'll keep you informed. If you want to go to that thing, <clears throat> let me kind of tell you how this works. Your ticket is going to cost you according to how quickly you get it. I, I always go on United. I go from Columbus into D.C., D.C. into Brussels, Brussels then into Entebbe, which is the big airport in Uganda and they'll meet us there and take us to the hotel. Now, the reason I do that is there are a couple other people that are going to be going that I promised if they do lots of halfway decent things that, uh, that uh, I would use my frequent flyer points to pay their way. I wasn't going to give them the money because one of them is Sean Tapman. And, <laughs> but with all the work that he does here, I promised him that, that, uh, that we would take him, and uh, I have enough accumulated points with Marriott that I can take care of him there and I told him but you have to provide your own eats and they're expensive don't tell him I said this but they're, they're, they're eating there because we go to the places to eat that I know are safe and you don't have to worry about getting a, a belly bug so uh, but but if you want to go the tickets according to when you buy them 
cost anywhere from 1050 to 1150 according to when you buy them because the airlines are, are kind of a mess now. And we want to go on, on at a time when we know that those airlines, will, the flights will not be canceled. So that's, uh, that's the plan. We will probably go early, maybe this Saturday or Sunday before uh, that weekend, and then come back the following Monday, probably, maybe even the Sunday night. Uh, we ha haven't got that all figured out yet because we want to go to uh, uh, at least three different places there. Uh, we, Alice Kay and, and, uh, has her picture in a baby rescue mission there at Destiny Village of Hope. It's a, they have about 2,000 children and a baby rescue thing. And then the, the place where Patrick and Eddie grew up, uh, orphans there, we'll visit there. Then there's a place out in the bush uh, where a little lady has, you know, can heart, you don't want to take any money with you when you go out there because when she tells her story, you'll just give it to her. And uh, it, it's a touching situation. Sister Barbara is her name. And you'll, have a, you'll run into some things that here we don't necessarily agree with, but they've had to do. Several of the programs and even some of the churches are run by women because their husbands. Uh, uh, Uganda was one of the countries where the men, the aid epidemic wiped out a great number of the men. When we first started going over there, the average age was 17 years old because of the adults that had been wiped out uh, by the AIDS epidemic. That's, that's coming up gradually now, but it did a lot of damage. So anyway, and if you haven't gone out of our building, going out by the chapel, you ought to go that way. The, the, the new flooring is down. Ultimately, when we hit the lottery, the rest of the flooring in that site, in that building will be the same as that is. Sean has it all done, and it's finished, and uh, the women have blessed it, and they're a pain, but they, you know, but we've had a little fun with that. Anyway, okay, let's, let's read this uh, a section from Leviticus that will complement what the young lady read for us. In the opening chapter of Leviticus, now, it, it reads this way. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Keep this term in your mind. Underline, the tent of meeting. Meeting who? It's where the sinners of, that made up Israel were to meet the Lord. That's, that's the, and that's why it's called the tent of meeting. Sometimes it's just called the tabernacle. But that's what it is. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, this is Moses talking now, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock, according to what your uh, way you make your living. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect, without spot or blemish, some of the passages say in King James. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Why? Because he's not allowed to go in. He takes his offering and he presents it to the Levite, the priests and the Levites who go in and, and make the sacrifice for him. 
you do that so it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Now, the word atonement is essential in, in understanding the entirety of the Bible just about. If you want a simple explanation, t- turn that word into three different words. At, one, meant. Because the whole principle here is based on everybody there in Israel is a, is a sinner, a, flag- <clears throat> a flagrant sinner. And you remember in the Garden of Eden what happened? When Adam and Eve sinned, God kicked them out of the garden and refused them access to him. Because God will not tolerate sin in his presence unless it is dealt with. And humans, we have no capability of dealing with sin. All we can do is confess it. So what this man's doing is saying, putting his hand on the head of the animal and saying, I am a sinner making my offering so that I can have access to God. Because I have no access to him except on the terms that he's laid out for me. Now, so he goes on and, and, and gives additional things about it. But I just want to add this just to save us some time. The offering from the herd or from the flock, whether it's a sheep, a goat, or a bull, <clears throat> that's for people who can afford it. But for poor people, they can, they can go to, uh, like if you remember when Jesus and his family came to offer their offerings there in, at the temple in Jerusalem, they, they were poor people, and so all they could do is to find a bird, either a dove or a pigeon. And that dove or a pigeon would then be presented, and the, and the blood would be drained out of it as a blood offering, because the Bible teaches that life is in the blood. And so, according to what you can afford, you bring it to the Lord as an offering. And the offering then is to be presented to the, to the Levites who ran who were the workhorses in running the interior of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And they would take it, uh, when the, the animal was killed, they, they, they would take it then, uh, parts of the animal, and offer it as a sacrifice to God. Now, you, you, you wouldn't know this unless you'd been to Israel several times. On the Temple Mount, where the temple used to be, now there is a Muslim mosque there, that, but, but on a couple of times, I was allowed in. I had to take my shoes off and do some other things, but I was allowed in. And one of the things you, that is really interesting is that at the place where the blood offering was offered in the temple by the priests and the Levites, the sons of Aaron are the, are the priests. The Levites is the tribe who was to help uh, the priests carry out their work. There's a ditch. Oh, it's probably... I'd say 18 inches wide and maybe a foot or more deep. And what the, and inside the temple there was a thing called a laver. It was a big brass container full of water. And just like we would do here uh, when we killed hogs at home or whatever, you know, you take the entrails out and then you take water and you throw it in into the to clean the entrails of the, the inside of the meat, get rid of all the blood. 
in the inside of the animal once you've gutted it and taken those things aside. Many of those things were offered. The fat that you take out in, was offered as a, uh, as a prayer sacrifice uh, to the Lord on behalf of the person who bought it. But that ditch was there. And, they would, and the blood would be drained from the animal and then they would take the water and throw it in and the, the person wasn't allowed in there who made the offering. But he would stand outside and when he saw the blood and the water flowing out, he would just rejoice because, and, and then they would have a party with the leftover parts of the animal with their family and whoever would join them. Because that blood and water flowing out was a visible indication that their offering had been presented and been accepted. Now, the reason that that becomes an important issue is when you read about Jesus being our perfect offering on the, he was without spot or blemish because he didn't sin, all of us. So he hung on the cross as a perfect offering for our sins. And if you recall, <clears throat> he died a little quicker than they thought he would. And so just to make sure, a Roman soldier took a spear and plunged into him right underneath of these ribs, and do you remember what flowed out? Blood and water. Which was a public indication of the fact that God, that the sacrifice had been offered, just like they would have seen when animals were offered, and that God had accepted this, it had been offered and God had accepted it. That was the visible testimony to the people of, of what God was accomplishing through Jesus Christ because we were helpless. We're sinners. We couldn't do anything. He had to do it all for us. So the children of Israel were just like us. They're just, if you follow along with me on your outline there, I'm going to move quickly through that to get to something I think is more important at the end here. Israel was described by God to Moses and Moses to Aaron, his brother. The, the Israelite nation were described as a stiff-necked bunch of people. Now, that didn't mean they had a crick in the neck. That meant they were hard-headed, bull-headed, self-righteous, self-centered bunch of jerks. But God had still chosen them, and he, was in, and he chose them as a people, and he gave them just one, just one job to do. Just one. Their job was to, by the life they lived, show the surrounding pagan nations who God is. That's their only job. And you remember when they were at the foot, uh, <clears throat> the foot of Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the, the Sinai Mountains, and Horeb was the name of the peak that Moses went up on. And while he was up there a month or so, and they gave, said, well, he's dead and gone, we're going to do... So they reverted back to the worship of the gods of Egypt. And the worship of the gods of Egypt was all pornographic. It was all sex-related and filthy. And, uh, and Moses, when he then he came down from the mountain, he said, Aaron, that's his brother, why did you let this happen? They're out of control. They're, they're, they're drunk and they're crazy and everybody's having sex with everybody else. And it's just a mess. And... Uh, so he was confronting that, and he said, and here's the bad thing. The surrounding nations are watching, 
and your God is being a laughingstock. Your behavior has made the true and the living God a laughingstock in the eyes of the surrounding nations. Now, you understand what I said. What was their objective? What was their single objective that God gave them to accomplish? Demonstrate to the surrounding nations who I am. What they did, of course, was just the opposite. And that's the reason why that, that when, the, when the Messiah came in the form of Jesus as our perfect offering, the perfect sacrifice on the cross, then God did something. He said, Israel, you've accomplished your purpose. Now then, I'm going to give that same responsibility to a whole new thing. And it'll not be just for Jews. It'll be for Jews and Gentiles. It'll be for everybody. Whosoever will may come. And he said, we're going to call it the church, which just really means the gathering of God's people. And you know what? He gave the church exactly the same, exactly the same mandate that he had given Israel. Here's your job. Once you become a follower and become the people of God, your mandate is by the life that you live to show the rest of the world who Jesus is. It was called the Great Commission in the 28th chapter of Matthew. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, blah, 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 and, you know, and I'll hang with you. That was the promise. And for some reason or other through the years, we have not issued strongly that mandate to our people. We've kind of said, put it this way. We've cheapened the gospel by saying, all you have to do is to come to church. We'll baptize you, and you be faithful at church. Put a few bucks in the offering, and everybody, everything will be fine. But it isn't fine. He wants you and me to live in such a way that the lost people will see Christ in us. Now, that doesn't mean some goofy idea that when you look at a person, you see Christ. What we're talking about is godliness. Now, I, I get that said because I want to go back to the tent of meeting for a little bit and talk about that. Because I told you earlier that the, the people who offered the offering weren't allowed into the area where the sacrifice was offered to God. Only the priests and the Levites could go in there. And in the Holy of Holies, once a year, only the high priest would go in. And he was to be, I'm telling you, it, they were scared to death. And they said, you know, if he's not cleansed, and if he's not holy, but for the Bible says what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So God lived in the Holy of Holies. And they said, if he isn't pure, then he goes into the presence of God, he'll die. And you know what they did? They tied a rope around his ankle so that if he, if he wasn't pure at heart and he went in before God uh, to put blood on the Ark of the Covenant, 
he would just die and they'd have to pull him out because they weren't allowed in there. I mean, they took it that seriously. To my knowledge, that didn't happen, but anyway, that was how seriously they said. People are not permitted in the presence of God unless the sin situation is taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean that the sin will disappear and we'll quit sinning, that we'll become perfect. Some people have taught that, but that isn't true at all. It is, it is that it has been forgiven. That's the big deal. That our sin has been forgiven. And only, now here's the, here's, the, here's the deal that you need to get straight in your mind, that our culture has completely destroyed and distorted. And that's this. The, the tent of meeting was there for the purpose of giving sinners access to God. But they were not permitted to, give, to, to, to get access to God without an intercessor. Somebody had, they took the offering and somebody else had to present it to God for them because they were still sinners. And the offering that they gave, the blood of bulls and goats, that was read for you, the book of Hebrews says it's not sufficient to save us. So what did it do when they brought those offerings? Actually, all it did until Christ came was to put the penalty for sin off for a year. And so every year they had to go back and do it again. And then next year, go back and do it again. Because the blood of bulls and goats wasn't sufficient to save. It was only acceptable to God to delay the penalty. And so that's, that, that needs to be gotten into your head. Because God says, your access to me is only on my terms. Now, let me explain, because you see that all the time here. I don't know whether you've ever been around rich people or not. I was, uh, occasionally get to do that with people, because riches and power are essentially the same thing. Access to God is access to unlimited power. God is described by theologians as omnipotent. Put it together, it's omnipotent which translates into northern Kentucky English, all-powerful. God is all-powerful. So access to God gives power to accomplish things that we call supernatural, not just ordinary. So what we're talking about here is, well, let's put it like this. If, if, if you're a dyed-in-the-wool uh, highly recognized Democrat, and you say to yourself, Self, my president is a Democrat. I'm going to go see him. And you get on your vehicle, and you head for Washington. Now, do you honestly think that you're going to get to see the president? You won't even get over the fence because you see the president on his terms, not yours. And that's true in a lot of areas. Um, and here in Ohio, we have at least three billionaires that I know about. A couple of them in Cincinnati. You know the guy that, 
uh, that you get, by, you see his trucks running around here, has uniforms and rags and stuff that, that you use in industry. He actually lives in Florida, but his headquarters is in Cincinnati. And some, Megan is a fundraiser for uh, a billion dollar outfit. So if she wanted to see him, she has to go to Cincinnati. And there's a guy there in Cincinnati, and she doesn't get to see him. He's in Florida. But he has what they call a gatekeeper. And you have to go to that gatekeeper and convince him that you deserve to meet the guy with the bucks, the billionaire. And you have to go through the gatekeeper. And God, and, and they actually got that concept from Scripture. Because many of those guys are professing Christians, either Catholic or, 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 or Protestant. So that concept of getting to power, the source of power, is nearly always on the terms of the powerful. And they got that, from, that concept from Scripture. So here's, here's the way that it is. If you're not, if you haven't met God's... He sets aside standards and says that unless you meet these standards, you don't even qualify to talk to the gatekeeper. Now use that concept. Okay, we're helpless. We're sinners. There's nothing we can do that will please God that he hasn't commanded. You have to do his will in order to please him. Kind of like growing up, right? My father was not a hard disciplinarian. He gave me one whipping, just one. I didn't deserve it. I was such a good boy. But anyway, it happened just kind of like this. It was in the fall of the year, like now. We'd had the fifth cutting of alfalfa. And that's really good if you get four cuttings of alfalfa. That's a, that's a good hay for the cows in particular. And we had Shirley Kurtz because we didn't, he had a tractor and a baler. We didn't have any. We had a mowing machine and two horses. So Shirley Kurtz comes over and bales it for us. And then we go out with the wagon, pick up the bales. My brother Chuck, Gene's already in college at Lexington, my oldest brother. Chuck and I were putting the bales on the wagon. And then we took it to the barn. Now, right in front of the barn door, when we, uh, the, we had a straw stack that is there when we had cut the wheat and went through all of that. And so you, when you brought the, uh, the, uh, the wagon to the barn, you could just back it up in front of the door. Then you had to unhook the horses because they didn't have room to come over because of the location of the straw stack. Well, they unhooked the horse, Daddy unhooked the horses, and then he got hold of the tongue of the wagon and guided it while my brother and I pushed the wagon back to the barn door. But see, here's a problem that you wouldn't know unless you're on the farm. Because of the drippings of the, of the, uh, off of the eave and, and the, of the barn roof, there's a, a bump that right before you go into, the, as you go into the barn, 
because the water dripping off has gotten rid of some of the stuff. And so you got this hump. So Chuck was on one side and I was on the other. We get a hold of the spokes of the wagon wheel and we get it about halfway up that bump and it will roll back down. And Daddy, God love him, he was just holding on to the tongue. He'd say, hit her again, boys. Hit her again. We did that about three times and we weren't getting it over the hump. And I looked at him and I said something I had, didn't say ever before out loud or since. I said, the hell we can. And I looked at him and for some reason or other I realized this was not a good thing to say. Now, now there never was a time after I passed 12 years old that I couldn't outrun him because I was the last of the boys and he was probably already 50. So... I did what any smart person would do. I headed, I took off running. And how this happened had to be divine intervention on his behalf. He not only some way or another caught me just as I went around the corner of the barn, but he got me by the nap of the neck and where he got that little piece of, of tobacco stick, I'll never know. But he hung me up there just like he would a stray dog and he whooped it on me. To make a long story short, I can tell you this. We got the wagon in the barn, okay? That's the only whipping I ever got. But in the homes, when I was a kid and growing up, you did what your parents said. They had authority and they exercised it. When you went to school, you did what the teacher said or you got thumped. I'm a, I have a serious lack of hair because my mother was my teacher in the second grade and in the sixth grade, and she would come by and pull my hair if I wasn't doing And she, when we get home, she said, I've got to be tougher on you than everybody else. I said, what for? I'm, I'm, I'm a, just a saint, you know. But some reason or other, she didn't buy that too much. But the situation is totally different now for some reason I don't think it's a good thing but it has been but my point is this the person in power allows you to come to them on their terms and that's exactly what God has done and he said here's the way it has to be you cannot come to me as a sinner Oh, you can believe that God is. Or you can go to the church and do all that stuff. But I'm talking about becoming a person whose life is lived in such a way that non-believers can see the qualities of Christ in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, so on and so forth. These are called the fruit of the Spirit in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. And interestingly enough, the Bible teaches that here's what you have to do. The key, because he said when Jesus died on the cross, he became the perfect sacrifice that God required for atonement at one meant, in other, access to the Father. But he says, but here's what you have to do. This Jesus who died on the cross 
You have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who see, to, who pursue him. You have to believe, you, which, and the word for belief and faith is exactly the same word. Belief and faith. You have to have confidence or faith in this man, Jesus, and what he did on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sins. You have to believe that to have access. In other words, what you and I have to do is we have to go through a gatekeeper. His name is Jesus. He's God's gatekeeper. And you remember what happened to him when he... And the greatest thing in the whole New Testament is one thing. Don't ever forget this. The greatest thing in the New Testament is the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Lots of people were hung on the cross by the Romans and the Egyptians because it probably started in Egypt. But only one walked out alive. And then several months or so later, he ascended into heaven. And what did he do? The Bible says that he sat down on the right hand of the Father. And he's making intercession for guys like you. He's our gatekeeper. And so... If you want to get to the Father, it's only available through Jesus Christ. That's the reason he said in the 14th chapter of John, you know, I'm the only way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Now, I, I know gatekeeper is a different term, but it's something we use in business all the time. So you might, it might just help clarify the issue. Your faith in Christ guarantees you access to the Father. And that's the only way. So, you, you know, we offer an invitation for you. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. That's why we ask these who are baptized. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you accepted him? Yeah, have, okay. We, we buried the old person that you were. You are now a new person in Jesus Christ. Now, so now, what Jesus did on the cross and your faith in him has accomplished atonement. You're at one now. And because of that, when you pray, you have the ear of God. And you even have help. Because when you accept Jesus and, you're, and you buried the old guy and you become a new person in Jesus Christ, he says, I'm putting my presence in you. That presence is called the Spirit of God. Now then, so with the Spirit of God in us, and we, we have assistance in me even in praying. Eighth chapter of Romans. You don't, we don't know always what we to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us to the Father. So what do you do? You have a gatekeeper, and you have the inner presence of God himself to assist you in accomplishing your task. The task hasn't changed. 
The task is that you and I live so that our life is a recommendation of who God is. Nothing short of that. And the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament was to introduce the concept so that when Jesus came, they understood. The sin problem has been dealt with. Forgiveness has been achieved. And so when forgiveness is achieved, we now have access to the Father. And so when Jesus said, when you pray, you pray like this. You don't have to say, you don't have to pray to Jesus. You can say, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. How's that kingdom coming? It's coming when we, our lives, become such a testimony to who God is that his will begins to be accomplished here on earth just as it is in heaven. Can you agree with me that it ain't happening right now? Not very visible. And I think the problem has been, and here I have to, let me, what did I do with my watch? Because my first wife gave me a hard time the other day, said I preached too long. I got two minutes. So, according to my handy dandy watch that the doctor gave me, what I tried to do this morning is to get across as clearly as I can how we get access to the Father. And then, only on His terms, and then He adopts us, the Bible says, into His family. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the will of the Father. But if we don't carry out his mandate, like my, heaven, like my earthly father who exercised discipline in order to achieve his will, he will discipline us. In fact, the biblical writer says, you only discipline those you love because you care about them. At the time I was on the receiving end of a broken tobacco stick. I'd had, I, it was hard to convince that that was true, that it was for my good. I had a sore fanny for about three days. And, uh, but now in looking back, it was for my good. At the time, you'd never convinced me. And at times, God disciplines us. You've been adopted into his family. He's the father. He's the source of power. And when we don't do what he asks us to do, just show the world who I am. We'll receive discipline. We'll receive discipline. I'm preaching primarily to Christians. We have too long settled for a fact, let's get people saved and then let it go with that. 
that sounds good, but that's not what the Bible teaches. You're saved to accomplish the will of God. Not just to get to heaven. Heck, that's, that's taken care of. You already got that ticket punch. It's nothing. While you're still alive, your mandate. Show our neighbors who Jesus is. Show the people you don't like who Jesus is. And if you're willing to make that commitment, he says, I will use the Holy Spirit to help you achieve that goal. You're not on your own. You not only have that, but you have the encouragement of the other family members, your church folks, helping you to grow to be a walking, talking, living sacrifice for your God. You become a living sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for loving us. And I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who isn't absolutely confident that they're going to go to heaven when they die, we pray they'll not leave the building until that has been achieved by putting, first of all, their faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and claiming him and his promises as their Savior. Help us, O oh God, to know whom we believe and be persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. Bless this gathering of people. Help us, O oh Lord, to agree to work hard at achieving the mandate of our Father to show the world who Jesus is and who he is. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.